0: Lord, today as we will celebrate your death on the cross for us and for our sin, we do echo the words of that song. It's only because you are good, and Father, because you are good, that you would do such a thing, and nothing more than the cross tells us that we are loved, and so today we want to be mindful of that. We pray in the name your good name, Jesus, amen. Okay, Gregory and Kim, come on up. Gregory and Kim King are in the house. Can we give them a warm welcome as they come up? This time I won't forget the microphone like last time. Yeah, you can, yeah, you can, let's make these a little circle or something. Kim, I'm gonna, you're gonna answer my first question so I'm gonna let you have the mic first. Good to see you guys. Likewise. Yeah. Welcome back. Um, Couple of questions you had no clue were coming to start with. I just want to know, like, if you could be one superhero, which one would you be?
1: (laughs) Good move. Should I answer on our behalf? (laughs) No. Um, That's not your forte, although I must admit, as a a child, I was interested in comic books. So it's difficult for me to choose, actually. Um, Right, um, I'll choose. I'll choose uh, the Incredible Hulk. It sounds fantastic. So don't get me angry during the interview, or there may be problems. Yeah, I will. I'm very to, hard to. Kim, Kim, would about? you like to give an answer?
2: Um, yeah, I didn't really follow superheroes, but can I make up my own? You can make up your own. Um, some singing, dancing, ballerina superhero that saves the world.
0: That's awesome. But we have this ongoing theme with our missionaries. I heard the word dance again. If you remember Baptists, don't do that. We just do rhythmic movement, movement to God's glory. So um, I'm teasing you. So Kim, especially for you, um, how, what's your connection? Because not everybody here knows your connection to the church. So could you tell us like, where you guys came from? And
2: Sure. So I started attending this church with my parents, Richard and Joanne Gimple. Uh, Joanne plays the piano up here. And um, I was maybe five or six. <laughs> and I grew up in the kids program here, attended missions conferences, um, went to me- you know, Mexico on a missions trip. That was my first exposure to overseas missions. Garen baptized me here. Um, I was really impacted by the international student ministry, and that's part of how God called me to, be, um, to really go overseas and do cross-cultural missions overseas.
0: Yeah.
1: So a big connection to 12. Right, and uh, in addition to being married to Kim and son-in-law to uh, the Gimpels, uh, we spent approximately 11 months here before moving to Vienna, Austria, which is our present ministry location, and so I had the opportunity to get to know a number of you more personally. Uh, We were in a small group here with a number of you, and I served in the music ministry for a time as well, and so um, the connection began with and through Kim, but uh, I feel like i was able personally to form a number of relationships with you all as well
0: so where do you serve and what's your mission what's your your vision of your ministry
1: right um so we live and serve in vienna austria the capital city uh not australia there are no kangaroos in austria unless you visit the zoo um and we have a vision statement that we formulated as a couple uh to to encapsulate and, and guide our ministry um What it lacks in its pithiness, it makes up for in its content. So here it is, and I'll explain it as we go. Um, It's this, Austrians and Turkish immigrants following Jesus, being formed, educated, equipped, and sent out for missional living in community, locally and globally. So um, what that means is this. We have two different people groups that are in view, indigenous Austrians who are German-speaking, Roman Catholic traditionally. Um, And we have Turkish immigrants, a people group from the country of Turkey, where Kim and I had actually lived and served a number of years ago. And so we're interested in, um, right, basically discipleship ministries, what you all are about here in in your context we're trying to do in Austria. Um, Turkish immigrants are one of the larger unreached people groups in the world, and so church planning is a necessity among them. And among Indigenous Austrians, we serve in many support ministries. Um, particularly, I serve as a biblical and theological educator in, um, at an institution that offers biblical and theological education. I serve in, as a lecturer in New Testament, and we also serve in the local church. Um, I in preaching ministries and mu- music ministries, uh, small group ministries, and I'll let Kim share a bit about what she does among Indigenous Austrians.
2: Um, So I also serve in our church in music ministry. Um, I've been really blessed to write songs that our church uses in German and then also help lead the the music both um, kind of from the background side and helping train up people to uh, step into what God's called them to do um, and also to serve myself musically.
0: You write songs in German or in English and then they help translate them?
2: I write them in German.
0: (laughs) Wow, I'm impressed.
2: Yeah, it's fun.
0: um, You've got a story about a couple, just even related to the reaching out to local people. So what?
1: Sure, sure. Well, um, to illustrate a bit of our vision and our roles among these two people groups, I could share a story from the last few years. Uh, So particularly, I'll tell you the story of uh, a a family with the surname Hermann, Tanya, Florian, and Richard. Um, and this family came to our German-speaking evangelical church about uh, three years ago. They had found the, the community on, on the Internet and were spiritually interested. They had just had something of a tragedy. Well, I guess it would be a more of a tra- traumatic experience in, in the family. And began spiritually seeking. Um, and so this, this couple, the, the husband, uh, is a North German and comes from an atheistic family. Uh, was not a follower of Jesus by any stretch of the imagination, and and uh, the woman Tanya was um, was raised in a semi-religious home, but was was not practicing the faith was not real to her, and so um, I made acquaintances with them a, a number of years ago at, at a Christianity explored. Uh, Class, I I suppose we'd say, Uh, simply lays out the basics of the faith and provides a safe place for people to pose their questions about Christianity and about the claims of Jesus. And so, I, um, by God's providence, got to sit at the table with them, got to know them, and over the course of that course, as well as interaction with um, a number of people in the local church, both of these people, both of these, uh, right, the, the, the husband and wife placed their faith in Jesus, responded to the gospel. And uh, I had the privilege of um, co-baptizing him uh, in our tradition, evangelical tradition in Austria. We practice co-baptizing. So one of the elders and I baptized the husband. And Kim and I also were present at their baby dedication to support the family specifically. And now that family um, is serving in the local church, uh, helping um, with uh, outreach ministries. They've both taken courses at uh, the evangelical academy where I teach. And so, it, it, it helps to capture a bit of that vision. Um, they're, they're also now engaged in their own spheres of influence, wanting to share the gospel and live life before others to glorify God. So, yeah,
0: great yeah. story. Yeah, can we say yeah to God for that? Yeah, and even you were talking about the Turkish people. We, and when we were in Colorado, we ran into a fellow from Turkey who was a Kurd. And oh, right. So, yeah, mm-hmm. God has sent the nations all over the world for us to... To be in place to encounter them. Just, I'm curious, I'm not sure that everybody knows, what is the spiritual state of Austria? How would you describe? I mean, Christian background, right? History, but right. What's, right. What is it, what's the context like right now?
1: Sure, excellent question. So, uh, Austria is traditionally a Roman Catholic uh, country, and Roman Catholicism was actually so the the um, imperial family that once reigned in Austria was very influential in providing both a biblical, uh, theological, and political response to the Reformation from Germany. Um, and so centuries ago, there, there there arose something of a a dichotomy, almost an antagonism between a Roman Catholic and, and Protestant experience and faith. Um, and today, that has subsided, but the evangelical community in Austria particularly is a minority population. About 1% or maybe less than 1% of the population follows Jesus in the evangelical uh, community. Roman Catholicism, meanwhile, um, is present. However, it's um, it, the, the faith is much less practiced than it used to be. It seems to have been disconnected from culture and society. Um, and so the spirituality there is... Um, Is present, but in terms of traditional faiths, much less practiced. And so it provides a great opportunity actually to speak into the culture, uh, the gospel, and um, to share about the relationship with God. Um, Would you like to add to that?
0: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You guys are doing, tell us what you're doing after second service. I mean, these are first service people, but maybe we could get them to hang around a little Uh, bit. Sure,
1: sure. So following the second service at 1230 in rooms five and six, there's a meet and greet. So if you'd like to come meet us, get to know us personally, hear about our life ministry and context, uh, we'll be there uh, to answer your questions, uh, to greet you if you're a familiar face or get to know you if we've not met you before. Um, And then around uh, one o'clock, there'll be a few talking points, a brief presentation. There's nothing formal, but also an opportunity for you to pose your questions in a group setting.
0: Yeah, and we are going to have, both of them, or Gregory at least, after service will come up here, and if you want to ask him some questions, feel free to come up. We did that a couple weeks ago, month ago, whenever that was, but um, how about praying for you guys? What are some things we can pray for you?
2: Um, well, this is probably no surprise because this is no different living overseas, but it is extremely difficult to figure out that balance between work and family and marriage and and church and you know how to how to give your time um, to each of those things and and help you know the marriage to flourish the the kids to feel that we're really present to them um, and yet to be engaged in our work and our ministry. So you know you can just pray that that we continue to follow the spirit in that that we. Don't listen to the culture or maybe what other people are saying, but we do what's right for us and our family, and trust that God's going to use that um, in in the ways that he he miraculously does um, to show His light to the world
0: So Kim, as a missionary you're you're not superhuman, no problems, you're just average, normal, ordinary, like the rest of us I mean
2: is <laughs> super that <right>? ballerina, but <laughs> 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 right, yeah.
1: Right. Um, It's hard to follow super ballerina, Um, but uh, right, I agree with Kim's point for prayer. That's that's an excellent one for us as a family, for us as individuals and a couple. Um, In terms of ministry, focus and emphasis, um, some of you might have been following uh, our our e-newsletter and noticed that the institution at which I teach was not accredited. the institution has been seeking federal accreditation as the first and only Christian private university in the German-speaking world, and that, that accreditation process was not successful. Um, so ima- imagine trying to found an Emporia State University in a different context, and that's what's going on. That's the project. So um, you can pray with and for us um, in the reaccreditation project. So the uh, institution plans to reapply in one to two years, and that God would grant that uh, favor if it's his will um and i suppose that's all that comes to mind (laughs) and you
0: mentioned to me yesterday that you are hoping in the next couple of years to do a church plan among the turkish immigrants and are needing partners right
1: that That would be an, an additional point for prayer i'm glad you mentioned it we're um the two of us together are responsible for a church plan among a people group of nearly 300,000 in our context, millions worldwide. Um, and so in our own context, there are very few known followers of Jesus. There are a few expatriates living in Austria who have a vision for engaging with Turkish immigrants. Nonetheless, we haven't been able to create critical mass, so to speak, to start a church planning team. So prayers for God to provide personnel to work with us and serve with us in that way. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So can we pray for them? We do that. Father, thanks for the kings. Thanks for who they are, just to us personally. How important they are to us and to our body. Thank you for the call you have on them to Austria, not just to the people there, but to the the Turkish immigrants who live there and who you've taken to a place that they can encounter your good news. Pray for the family, Lord. As like all of us, the struggle with balance guarding their own souls and their family life. I pray that you would give them wisdom and strength to do that. Pray for the accreditation. We would love to see that school get accredited and get that, um, that important thing over there culturally. Um, thank you for the training they're doing of German-speaking people in the Bible, and we just pray for your, the flourishing of that. And then as they look to this church plan among the Turkish immigrants, that you would provide partners and people to walk with them and help them do that, and that's something only you can do, so we long to see um, your work in that way. So, we just long for their blessing, for their flourishing, for their well-being, Lord. We ask this in the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, could we let them… Thanks for coming and sharing. Yeah, pretty exciting, and Demrick Patton was here, right? couple weeks ago? Was Demrick in the house? I think. Jason, was Demrick Patton here when you? Left early. Oh, left early. So, okay. Um, thanks to John Sapp, who's not here, for, for filling in while I was gone. Jason, for you, filling in while I was gone. I appreciate it. Uh, Jordan, I'm not sure what to say. Um, you will notice he's not here <laughs> after last week. Oh, I'm just giving him a hard time. Um, Yeah, actually, um, I had heard rumors and tidbits of what he was planning to do, and um, I actually appreciate what he was doing, Um, and I will, I'll tell you why, because we're going to be, we're going to be doing the Lord's table in a minute, and, you know, um, part of what he was doing, I think, was just, we can get so used to our forms And we just keep doing things and they become rote that we can forget maybe the purpose of why we're here. Isn't that human nature to do that? And we serve a God who is a God who can be present anywhere without forms. That's why when Jesus had the conversation with the woman at the well and she said, it's either we think you've got to worship Jesus on this mountain and you say on that mountain. And he said, the day is coming and it has come when those that worship the Father won't worship on this or that mountain. He is seeking people who worship Him in spirit and in truth. And we are people who worship Him in spirit and truth. And we can worship God in anywhere, in any context, in any place, right? In anything. The form is, is very secondary. In fact, we're going to do Lord's Supper in a minute. And in the early church, if we, were, if we were to go back and look at their form, you would have had probably 8 to 15 believers in a Roman house meeting in an atrium on a Sunday morning, the, the service usually would have been a sitting, reclined hey, well, not even sitting. This is actually a drawing from a catacomb. We know this from history, and we've seen drawings. We know this is what the Lord, when He had his last supper, was like. Um, and they were sitting, and they would actually have a meal. They called it a love feast, and they would partake of a meal, and then they would do, as a part of the meal, they would break the bread and, and share the cup. And a totally different form than we do now. They would, if they came here, they wouldn't even recognize what we're doing, but that's not the point, right? The point's not the form. The point is, is that we worship a God in spirit and truth. So, okay, so this morning I wanna hit my very, very favorite proverb. We've been kinda hitting my favorites all summer, but this is my top one, definitely, and we've been talking about Proverbs, the fine art of living well, and I wanna do Proverbs 4.23. This morning, would you just stand with me and would you read this? It's very short, but if you could read it, join me, I would appreciate it. And Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Um, There are three components this proverb I mean I've got them in different colors and I just want to hit those briefly if you've got the bulletin insert we're actually gonna we're we're gonna do some important things with that this morning so if you would pull that out it's got a place for notes on one side on the other side has a diagram that we're gonna come back and reference Um, but the three components the first one is is the responsibility and the responsibility is this is to guard your heart, guard your heart. In Western culture, when we think of a heart, we tend to think of it as the seat of our emotion. Um, And many in our culture tend when you talk about the heart, think about it more in kind of a sentimental way. A lot of people I was reading who were talking about the Hebrew view of the heart versus the Western view of the heart kept mentioning that the Western view tends to be very sentimental and like multiple authors brought up, like the kind of sentimental emotionalism in Hallmark movies. Um, I don't know. They brought it up enough that I thought I would say it. Now, of course, I totally don't even understand what they're talking about because like most of the guys here, Hallmark is my preferred uh, thing to watch. Pat and I fight every Sunday over. Oh, are we going to watch the Hallmark Channel or the NFL Network, you know, for Sundays? So I have no idea what they're talking about. But it's, it's not, it's not the, seat of the, the seat of the emotion is how we think, and that's really not what they thought of it. The Hebrew word is uh, levav or lev. Because uh, I just like saying Hebrew things, um, and in their mind it was very complex. And I could—I'm not going to give you biblical verses for this, but if you're a person that's interested, I could. In in their mind, the the heart was the center of the thoughts you're thinking, not the brain. In fact, Hebrew doesn't even have a word for brain, so it was the center of your thoughts. It was the place of wisdom, where wisdom would be. Um, in Proverbs 7, 7, and 10, 3, literally in the Hebrew, um, people who are not wise are those who lack heart. Um, it's also where you feel your emotions. So that, to them, was a part of it. In Judge 16, 25, to be good of heart, we translate to be full of joy. Um, it was the center of the will. It was the places that all of your choices come from. In 1 Kings, David, it says, had it in his heart. He had made the decision to build the temple, so it's, it's the seat of the will, and it's the seat of your affections and your love, the things that you deeply care about and value, and that's why David in Psalm 37, 4 talks about the desires of your heart. So it's all of these things, and in, in the essence, the heart, it's just the deepest part of you, it's, it's your whole inner being, that's kind of the point of all of that. It's the center, the core of who you are. It's the center of gravity of the human person. Somebody's called the heart the epicenter of the person. Uh, It's the executive center. It's almost like the command and control center of the person, like the bridge of a submarine or the bridge of the Starship Enterprise. James K.A. Smith says that the heart um, is part compass, part internal guidance system. Like a compass it points us, our heart points us in a particular direction like an internal guidance system, our heart propels us towards the way we live our life. So the heart includes the intellect, the emotions, the will, it's the seat of our deepest commitments and loves, our deepest longings and desires, I mean your heart is you, kind of the totality of that inner world and it's the place in us that connects with God. And we're told to to guard our heart. Um, It's so central that we should guard it. The message says to keep vigilant watch over our heart. And I'm not going to get into this, but it's really interesting. In the Hebrew, there's an intentional wordplay where guarding is actually referred to twice, emphasizing its necessity. The um, voice kind of caught it when they said, watch over your heart, diligently guard it. They tried to put that double mention in their translation. And you guys are smart. You know what guarding is. It's somebody in a watchtower who's watching over a city. It's a sentry at a gate. Um, Their role is essentially to protect, right? In Nehemiah, this word is used frequently of the guards on the city wall. God is said to be a guard or a watchman. In Proverbs 24, 12, it says that He guards our life. Interestingly, this word is used a lot in the Psalms. Um, to describe God's role as a shepherd, guarding his flock, and guarding by protecting and providing. Interestingly, there's kind of two components to guarding, for a shepherd, but also for a sentry, because a sentry wants to keep out what's bad, but a sentry at a gate also is there to let in what's good, right? Kind of the negative and the positive. And a shepherd, his guarding is the negative, is protecting the sheep from danger, but also Providing So there's kind of that dual component to this. So we have the responsibility, and then we have the reason. And the reason is, is because everything you do flows from it. One translation says it's the source of your life. Another, everything you do flows from it. Older translations frequently translated it, it's the well spring of life. I mean, it's the source of, of everything. Everything flows from our heart. It governs all of our activity. James K.A. Smith says that the heart is the engine that drives our existence. It's the spiritual hub of who we are. All of our behavior, all of our choices, all of our habits spring from our heart. It's like the CPU, the central processing center for everything that we do. And it shapes all of our actions. I mean, we know this, right? Right? As your heart goes, so go your dreams, your choices, your priorities, and your life. That's why Henry W. Longfellow said, Hearts are the garden, thoughts are the roots, words are the flowers, deeds are the fruits. I'm not sure about his uh, grammar there, but we'll give him a break on the fruits part. Jesus said it, something similar in Luke 6.45, when he said, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up where? In his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of evil stored up where? In his heart. The mouth speaks what the the heart is full of. We know all this. And the third component is so we have the responsibility, which is to guard our heart. We have the reason, because everything in life flows from it. And then we have the rank. Had to come up with an R-word, right? Rank, like Number one, because it says this, above all else, above all else. In the Hebrew text, the word order is not proper grammatically, and this phrase is stuck at the front, but in their language, that's how you underline something, that's how you highlight it, that's how you circle it, that's how you put an exclamation mark, and a lot of English translations have put it at the front for the same reason. Um, This is a key priority. It's of supreme importance. So, the point of the proverb is your heart is so vitally important, not just because your heart's at stake, but your heart's important because everything's at stake. Everything in your life is at stake when we're talking about the heart. If you neglect the heart, you risk everything else in your life because everything else is the overflow of what your heart is. So if you hear nothing else this morning, hear this, that if you neglect your heart, if you allow that to deteriorate, things will look good for a while, but everything will begin to deteriorate. Your relationships, the way you handle money, your priorities, your work, you allow your heart to shrink, and it will negatively impact every area of your life. So, the bulletin insert. Could you pull that out a second? Or if you don't already have it. Um, on the back, there's a picture of a sailboat. And it asks the question with some bullets. What are things we can do to guard our heart and our soul? What are things we can do to tend or cultivate our heart? Um, I just want some feedback. Just I want you to give me a few things. What are some things that we can do to guard our heart, to protect it and to provide for it? To keep out danger, to let in good things. Give me some, some thoughts. What would you guys say? Bible study. Being in the Word. Do what? Pray. Talking to God regularly. Serving. Yeah. Because serving generates a servant's heart. And the, the servants are first in the kingdom of God. Do what? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, knowing our own weaknesses, the things that we really need to protect it from, right? What other things? Yeah, devotions, meaning that, I think that regular time communing with God, listening from Him through His Word, speaking to Him. What else? Yeah, community is so important, the people you hang out with. What else? Learning to be content, cultivating an attitude of gratitude. Do what? Yeah, Sabbath rest. Huh? Yeah, accountability partner. David? Yeah, giving. Because the things we we love, we give to, and that cultivates greater love. What do we do up here this morning? What should all of this be? Even the word is what? Worship. Worshiping God. So those are all things we can do. Now I want to leave you quickly with an image for the heart. Sailboat is the finest sailing vessel ever made. Interesting, the most important part of the sailboat is invisible to the naked eye. The key to the design of the sailboat is that virtually all of its weight is found under the waterline, fully out of human sight. It's in the keel. Because of the, the majority of its weights underwater, a sailboat can tip at 88 degrees and still not totally tip over, it can come back to being upright. And I love that, that picture, I mean, check out that keel, look at that thing, man, that is a crazy keel. Um, and look at that, I mean, the, the keel allows a boat in extreme conditions, extreme winds, it can still come back to being upright. And I'm going to bring it back to that because I love that picture. By the way, look at that guy. Can you see that guy? I don't know if you can see that guy. He's having a good time. He's got a lot of that white sunscreen stuff. I don't know. But um, I don't know if that's his teeth or his sunscreen. You know, we have an inner life and an outer life, an inner world and an outer world. My outer world is that self that's public and it's visible. It deals in the externals and visibles and measurables. Um, it's my accomplishments, my work, my reputation. It's things related to the things I do in the world. And my inner world deals with internals, right? I mean, internals, things that are by nature invisible, things that can't be measured, things that are about being. And as you know, everything in my outer world, in my doing, everything is screaming for my attention, right? Your boss, your children, the culture, everything in the outer world is screaming for your attention. But do you ever hear your heart screaming for attention? Anybody ever hear your heart just screaming for attention? Because God speaks to us in a still, small voice and a whisper. And when our outer world becomes our focus, our inner world begins to shrink and to suffer. And so to me, the keel is like the heart of our lives. Um, If we're going to successfully navigate the rough and tumble seas of the spiritual journey, we've got to have most of our weight under the waterline. It's got to be in the keel. It's got to be in the heart. The bulk of who we are needs to be in that hidden, unseen part. And if there's ever an age that needs this, I mean, isn't it now? Are we not crazy busy running around in a frenzy? Everything in our culture is shouting for the outer, for that above the waterline stuff. And I think this, this proverb is just a call to us to refocus on our heart. Um, And you know, it can be so easy to get stuck in a rhythm of life to where we neglect our heart. And that's why we need to take this proverb to heart and to above all else to guard it. Our number one priority is to have a well-tended heart or a well-ordered heart, heart as Gordon MacDonald puts it. And when the bulk of our personal weights on our inner world, it will provide you the stability that we desperately need as we encounter the uncharted waters of life. And to fail to give attention to our heart is to set a course to eventual capsize. The weight of our life has to be in our being, not in our doing, in the internal, not the external. So, you got that sheet still with the diagram on it? A few questions on there? Um, Yeah, here's some people that capsized. They had boats with, their keels were way too little. See, if you don't have a good keel, that's what will happen in rough water. Um, so how is your heart today? Into the summer, are you, above all else, guarding and growing your heart? On that sheet of these questions, I want to know, I'd like you on this, this scale, this six to zero, zero to six, to circle one of these. Honestly, where is the weight of your life today? Is it above the waterline or below? How much emphasis have you been putting upon your soul and your heart lately? Have you been focusing on the externals of your life or on the internals? Are you regularly cultivating your heart and your soul before God? We just talked a minute ago. You guys gave me some stuff that we wrote down, hopefully, of ways to guard and cultivate our heart, and I want to remind you of intentionality. I love this word. You'll never guard and grow your heart accidentally. It'll never happen. You can only grow it intentionally. So I think just from that stuff, you have some ideas and know what you need to do. I encourage you of the things we wrote down to circle one or two of those. What's one or two things that you need to re-engage in to cultivate your heart again? I encourage you, prayer is important for this. Regularly praying one of these to God or both. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Or search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in a way everlasting. And those are on your sheet. If you want to read on the heart, I really recommend John Ortberg's book, Soul Keeping, and Ordering Your Private World by Gordon MacDonald. Great books. Very recommended. This topic of the heart is so important. The next week I'm going to come back to it and talk about what the gospel says about our heart. So important that this fall, the series we're going to do is about the heart. Um, now, and you you guys know this. So I'm going to have my, ser- my communion servers come up. We're going to do communion. You guys know this. Um, you can... Uh, I mean, you you take your car to get it realigned, right? Get the tires aligned. And about how long do they stay aligned, would you guess? I don't know. Because you get out on the road, and what happens when you get on the road? You hit real life, right? You hit the bumps, you hit the dips in the road, or the things that you think are little bumps aren't, or you drive down 12th Avenue, but thankfully they've fixed it, and you're hitting the big potholes, okay, right? And it doesn't take long before life gets your car out of what? Out of alignment. And that's our hearts the same way. It needs constant care, constant cultivation. We need to do things regularly to keep our heart in alignment with God. And we talked about some of those things. Weekly, you know, being here, being part of this community is just one of those things. There's so many things we can do. I think God also gave His church a gift A thing to help us to to stop and to focus and ask those questions. How is my heart? And to realign. And I think it is this gift of the Lord's Supper, communion, whatever you call it. Of this meal where we remember that Jesus died and he gave everything for us. Right? He gave all. His last drop of blood. For our heart. Because we have evil hearts and we needed redemption. We can't save ourselves. And he died to bring us back to himself and to give us the gift of a new heart. And we owe everything to him. And He's the center, and He's the creator of our heart, but it's so easy to forget, isn't it? And so can we use this time this morning as kind of a recalibration of one of those, like we're here to get a little bit of a realignment. And we're told in Corinthians that when we take this supper to to examine ourselves. So as, as the elements are passed, can we reflect on those questions on that sheet? Where is the weight of my life? Am I taking care of my heart? You know, as they used to say in the old church I grew up in, do business with God. And just let this be a time to recenter. So, Jesus was with his followers on that last night. And they prepared the Passover meal. And when the hour came, they were reclining at the table. And he said, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Suff- before I suffer. Suffer. Supper and suffer. Yeah, we're going to. And he took bread and he gave thanks. And he broke it and he gave it to them. So, Father, we give thanks for your Jesus, for your broken body for us, that you were broken on the cross for us. And so we take this bread to remember you. Amen. Sacrifice, forgive the sins of men. Take, drink. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11:26 that whenever you eat and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. So let's just take today, not just now, but to think about our hearts ask those big questions. Where's the weight of my life to recalibrate, to realign? Would you stand with me? Lord, thank you for this table, for what it represents to us, for you giving all. It's so easy to get distracted by the externals and the outward for the weight of our life to get above the waterline, and then you kind of a little bit fade in the mist. Um, slide into the background, and we want to keep you center of our lives. So thank you for this proverb that reminds us that above all else, above all else, the more important than anything else, for us to guard our heart because it is the source of our life and everything we do comes from it. So may this be a day that we can refocus on you. Thank you for giving all for us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. And you are sent to be God's people in the world this week.